Well, glory to God. We're going to come to God's Word, and uh, we are in the summer of the Scriptures still. This is, uh, this is, God's Word is so powerful in our lives, friends. This is why we spend two summers. This is why we do it every, every week, but we spend two summers in the summer in the Scriptures. It's our second summer. Last summer, we, we read through the entire New Testament, and this summer, we are reading selected passages through the whole Bible, and I hope you're joining in on that reading plan. I'm smiling because some of you are looking at me like, don't point at me, don't pick me out, don't. Don't ask me if I did it. Anybody like rocking it? Anybody like reading it all? Just like nailing it? Yeah, so great. Me too, but I'm paid too, so. Um, yeah, I haven't missed, I haven't, I've gotten by by one day and I told you not to try to catch up, but I did that. I, I caught up again. I, I was paid. I wanted, I was make sure I got my paycheck. But we're reading the summer in the scriptures and we're coming up to this time in this story of God. We've gone through some major movements of scriptures, and we're coming up to this moment in the story of God called Acts. It's the book of Acts. This, and this is the story where God has birthed the church. The church is born in this experience. This is the, this, this is the transition in the story of God from the teachings of Jesus. I mean, we've gone through several transitions already in 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 talking about the the timeline of the story of God. But this is the transition from the teaching of Jesus to the living out of the church that we are living in today. And we're going to come to epistles next week, but the the letters to those churches. But this is the transition between the two. This is the transition from what Jesus said to how the church then lives, the, the birth of the church to the existence and the ongoing life of the church. The church is born. And it's actually a rather dramatic thing because it's a spiritual birth. The church is born, but I could have entitled this something else along the lines of the Holy Spirit comes. So this sermon is about the church and about the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. (coughs) And this is a complete paradigm shift that the Holy Spirit has come. This is like nothing that they have seen before or experienced before. It is a reimagining of the way that that life is now functioning for them because the Spirit is in their midst. I've got a glass of water over there, Linda, would you? (coughs) Excuse me. When I was a kid, I would go um, with my friend uh, David Barnes to Tahoe, and his family had a little cabin up near Tahoe City, a little A-frame cabin, and we'd go for a couple weeks every summer, and I'd always get to spend time with him. And um, we found in the basement of this cabin an old Honda 90. Now, this is like 1960. 70, 1971, I'm going with him. Thank you. And uh, thank you, a little applause for my wife. Lovely, Linda. She's lovely. And um, so we found this Honda 90 in the basement. And it was this old Trail 90, and this is in the days before. um, I mean, this is is an old motorcycle. And um, we thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Because when you're 8, 9, and 10, man, an old motorcycle is just the best. And again, I don't know. If this is a gender thing or a generational thing, but man, a motorcycle with that leather seat and those rubber pegs that, I mean, the metal pegs that flip down and the rubber grippies on them and you get on that thing, you know what I'm talking about, man? Any man, give me an amen in here. I mean, that is, man, that is like guy heaven. And we loved this thing, but we were kids and it had been in there and it was all jacked up and spider webs. But we figured out how to put it in neutral and we used to push it around. So, we got it, and we got it. We, the ha- cabin was at the bottom of a cul-de-sac and uh, on a little hill. 
And we're eight, nine, ten, you know, every year we'd get that thing out and be like, let's go take the Honda. And we'd take it up and we'd push that thing. And it's not a little mini bike, like a little 50, you know, scooter. Like it's like a little mini motorcycle. And we're little and we'd push that thing up to the top of the hill and then we would turn it around and we'd hold on to it. And then we'd get on it. And one guy had to, you know, hold on to the side of it because, you know, it would fall over and throw his leg over. And the other guy would get on there and we'd take turns and we'd coast that thing the full one-tenth of a mile down the cul-de-sac to the bottom, you know, going and making noise like that. Students, this is what we did before the internet. Because <laughs> we get to the bottom of the hill and we turn around and we push that motorcycle back up to the top of the hill again. And we found other places, little off-road places to push this motorcycle around and, and we'd ride it down a hill and, you know, be like, did I get some air? And we were coasting. We took this big motorcycle and pretended like uh, we were riding this thing. Somewhere along the line, and I think I was about 11, we had started to figure out that maybe we could get this thing started. We had just started to check in now, a little bit, almost a little more adult-like, and we drained the gas tank. There was old gas and we put new gas in it. We put a new spark plug in it, and we got that thing running. And this would be, you know, no electric starter or whatever. This was like we were just doing the boom, 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 boom thing, you know. We're the two 11-year-olds, and we're just like, this is going to be so great. Oh, boom, 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 you know. Sure enough, man, one time it fired up. We're like, ah! Now, one of the things about my stories is that anything from about 1979 and earlier, I have no parents in my memory. Like, I don't know where our parents were, but we got that motorcycle running, and it was game on. I mean, it changed everything. The landscape completely changed. That motor was now running. We were not pushing that thing up to the top of the hill and then coasting down. We were off and gone. No helmets. We didn't teach ourselves how to drive a clutch. We didn't know. I remember the very first time, popped the clutch. Both of us fell off the back, and the motorcycle shot down the road by itself and crashed over. I have one memory of us riding the Honda 90 across a golf course. Like, I don't... Do you know that little golf course at, at like, Kings, Kings Beach? Like, we were on that, probably, you know, out of control. But the power to have that thing start running changed the way we live. I mean, it changed everything. And this idea, I think of that when I think about pushing a motorcycle up the hill. I think of that idea of this, this idea of the church being infused with the power of God by the coming of the Holy Spirit changed the landscape of what it was like to be God's people on earth. It was night and day. There's a difference between putting, sort of putting the pieces of our lives together in a way that we sort of end up doing okay. That's sort of like pushing the Honda 90 to the top of the hill and coasting back down. There's a difference between that and living with an indwelling power and presence of God himself and it opening up the horizons of the way life was intended to live. That's the picture, the dramatic picture of the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit came to dwell with God's people and it was game on. That's the book of Acts. That's what it teaches. In brief, the church is Jesus' followers who receive the Holy Spirit and then live like it. That's what the book of Acts is about. It's defining the church as Jesus' followers who receive the Holy Spirit and then live a life like they're full of it. They live it. They're going to live it out. I'm going to come back to that, but I want to do a little orientation to the book of Acts. book of Acts, where is this in history? This is just after Jesus' life. In fact, the very beginning of the book of Acts, in a minute we're going to read Acts 1, uh, part of Acts 1. Yeah, I'd love to have you look at it with me. It's the very end of Jesus' 
time on earth. Death, resurrection, he's meeting with his disciples before he goes to heaven. He ascended around 30 AD, right? And so this is where we are in the history. And it's more like 60, I have, think I have in the notes there, it's 30 to 60, it's 30 to 62 or 63. The book of Acts ends in about 63 AD. It's the first 30 years of the church. That's what's going on in the book of Acts. Just so you know what else is happening during that time, like, the, like Paul became a Christian, like Paul who wrote the Bible, like St. Paul, like the Apostle Paul, like he became a Christian about 35 AD. Nero, who's famous for like, you know, huge persecution and, and fiddling while Rome burned, right, which I don't think happened, that's a myth, but um, that was 64 AD. In fact, Paul was probably martyred at his hands or one of his cronies' hands around 63 AD. The fall of Jerusalem, where the Romans sacked it, was 70 AD. This is what's happening in the world at this time. I want you to to understand this context, but it's the birth of the church. Jesus' teaching, his death, his resurrection, 40 days of talking to his disciples, and then he ascends, and now it's game on with the Holy Spirit having come. So that's the timing. The other notable things about the book of Acts is that it's about the Holy Spirit. I should have put Holy Spirit slash church. The Holy Spirit comes. Before this time, the Holy Spirit came at certain times for certain reasons uh, for God's purposes. This is now the Holy Spirit comes into God's people and to be with God's people. And so the church was born. That's what happens in the book of Acts. I can't tell, I can't take them apart though, right? You can't, the Holy Spirit came, that was the birth of the church. You can't say the birth of the church happened without saying because the Holy Spirit came. That is the birth of the church. That's happening in Acts, as I already alluded to, and we'll talk more about. Peter is in the book of Acts. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. The title is the Acts of the Apostles. Maybe it just says Acts, um, and maybe it, uh, it says something else in your title. Um, they're unsure about the original title. There's only two apostles, really, in the book, and one of them's Peter. Peter was ministering to the, uh, the Jewish believers right there in Jerusalem, and he eventually falls off of the story because the story goes to talk about how the church is scattered. The church is further out there. The church is scattered and the church is growing. That's the other thing that's in here. There's a story about a guy named Stephen, remember this, who was one of the followers of Jesus and he got um, killed, persecuted for being a follower of Jesus. The Jewish people didn't like what he was talking about and they threw rocks at him until he died. It's called stoning someone. And right after that, a persecution broke out toward the Christians. And so what happened was it spread. These Christians were like, oop, okay, uh, see ya. And they spread out all over the known world and took the message of Jesus with them. So something the enemy intended for evil, God used for good because the church now scattered and then started growing. And that also leads to the the ministry that Paul had. Saul becomes Paul. He has a, a, a powerful transformation story. And then Paul goes out on these church planting trips. So that's the book of Acts. So when you read all that stuff toward the end of the book of Acts, and you hear it, he, so then we went to Troas, and then we prayed to the Lord about going to Macedonia, and then Barnabas and Saul went over to Ephesus, and then all that stuff happening. That's Paul going out on these church planting trips. And he's finding these believers that were scattered and helping them establish local churches in these towns, First Baptist Church of, you know, Macedonia, whatever. He's planting these churches, and, or he's going into the synagogues, and he's finding Jewish believers, and he's like, dudes, listen, Jesus is the Messiah, and finding people who came to faith, and then would start a church there. 
And so this crazy picture that you can't see because it's terrible, uh, but it, all of it, I just wanted you to see these arrows. This is like Paul's trips, and he took different people with him, and they stayed different lengths of time in different places, and God just unleashed all kinds of stuff because of the Holy Spirit's power with him, unleashed all kinds of stuff all over this known world, ending in the trip to Italy, the home country. See that over there? Where he ended up in Rome and was imprisoned there um, for being a Christian because not the, whole, the whole world didn't love Christians, especially at that point, uh, many of the Jewish leaders. So, this is what's happening in the book of Acts. Now, go back to this idea. Acts is about the church being born, and the church is simply about Jesus' followers who receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus' followers who receive the Holy Spirit. After the resurrection, Jesus was teaching them for 40 days. If you do have your Bible, it would be fun to look at Acts chapter 1 together. Uh, after these 40 days, Jesus had been, had been um, talking to them. And on one occasion, verse 4, Acts 1, 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is one of some of Jesus' last words. In fact, his very last words are two verses later in verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus has been with them. He's been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. He proved that in many convincing ways, it says, in the first couple of verses, including hanging out with them for 40 days, fairly convincing. And he's telling them about the kingdom of God. And then he says, listen, don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit. Something game-changing is coming. And it's my spirit which has been promised to you. But when he comes, you're going to then be my witnesses to how true this is. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that will make the church the church for the rest of the world. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, which is the region around it. It's like saying in San Rafael, in Marin, in Samaria, which is like saying Sonoma County, right next door, East Bay, San Francisco. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, like who knows where. You're going to be my people. Do not go without the Holy Spirit. But when he comes game changer. You're going to be my people. You're going to be Jesus followers who have received the Holy Spirit. And boy, did they receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. I want to read a couple verses from this. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, it was a Jewish holiday. They were celebrating the coming of the law, actually. That's interesting. They were celebrating the coming of the law. And on that day, God sent his spirit to be with the church. He said, the law is only part of it. It's the power that's going to come that fulfills all this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filling the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them, or in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We know they were languages because of what comes next. Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation from heaven, under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because they, each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? This is, there's a little bit of a derogatory you know, 
tone to their thing. They're like, wait, these dudes are like ignorant, uneducated fishermen. Like these are not cosmopolitan kind of elite. Like these guys should not know our languages. Then how is it they keep saying, they go on to say, verse 8, how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? This is a cool miracle. God's like, um, attention, it's a game changer. Let me tell you something. Let me show you what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and it's going to blow your minds. How are you going to know this? Well, because somebody's going to come and speak Egyptian to you. That's how that's going to work. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Wouldn't that be cool? Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? And some made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. I don't know what kind of wine club they're a part of, but if it makes you speak Mesopotamian. (laughs) Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, and he begins to parse in this first big speech in Acts, and Peter's first speech in Acts, he begins to parse what it was that was going down, and he ends up telling them about Jesus. Now, I want you to See one or two verses that in his speech, verse 32 from chapter 2, he says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it, apparently. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This is Jesus showing up in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the, the Spirit of Jesus showing up. And this is a new deal. The church is born. The Holy Spirit is here. I want to emphasize again, you guys, the the radical nature of this. The Holy Spirit visited certain places at certain times, as I said, for certain reasons, for God's purposes throughout history up to this point. The Holy Spirit did not come and dwell with God's people. Jesus came and dwelled. Do you see the progression? Here's God, this distant God that people were afraid of, and he sent his prophets, and he came and did some things in their midst, and they thought, oh, this is a good God, and he's here, and he's present with us, and he said, I am. And then he came further along in the progression. He sent Jesus, the incarnation of him, and Jesus himself came physically to be with people. But when, remember Jesus teaching to his disciples, he said, but unless I go, I can't send the counselor, the one who's going to walk along with you. It's better for you that I go back to heaven. So then the death and resurrection, which brought forgiveness of our sins, happens. Then the Holy Spirit of Jesus gets poured out. Where? Certain people, certain times, for certain reasons? Everyone who believes in Jesus gets Jesus' spirit inside of them. So before, to get some Jesus, you had to get your Jesus time. You had to be with Jesus physically. And that's why Jesus said, oh, it's way better when I go because this counselor is going to come. The spirit of Jesus will come and be in you. You see how it's such a game changer? Now we walk with Jesus dwelling inside of us. The spirit of Jesus in each believer and in the church corporately. So the church is born. It's alive. It's a spirit living with him in us. Here's the thing that gets me. So sometimes the church is the alive presence of Jesus, but sometimes we just go to service. We just go to services. We attend church. Friends, no. The church is the presence of Jesus' Holy Spirit in us. What is the church? It's Jesus' followers who have received this Holy Spirit within us. 
Jesus' followers receive the Holy Spirit. And what I say? They live like it. They live like it. They live like the Spirit lives inside of them. They live like the power of God is present and available to them. They live like they have that kind of access to God himself. They live like the Jesus that we claim to follow is present within us, speaking to our hearts and our minds and leading us. That is how Christians live. That's the good news. That's why it's such a game changer. It is a lot different than pushing the, the, the Honda 90 up the hill and hoping that we get a little bit of a rush coming down. It's like the motor has started and it's game on. And Jesus is present within us. He's present. We receive him, but then we live like it. We live like it. The, the people who heard Peter's speech actually asked a question like that. If you look at verse 36 and 37, Peter ends the speech by saying, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Let me, let me bottom line it for you. The Lord Jesus, this God has made this Jesus, when you crucify that Jesus, that physical guy, God has made him Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do about this? Then what do we do? Wow, if that's the reality, how do we live then? How do we live this out? The church is Jesus' followers who have received the Holy Spirit and live like it. How do we live it out? What do we do then? It is a great question that they asked. Wow, we saw this miracle unfold. We heard Peter parse it for us. The presence of God is with us and in us, and here it is. What do we do now? Then how do we live that out? What do we do? And in the couple of minutes that I have left, I just want to look at a couple of things in Peter's reply. He says in verse 38, repent and be baptized. Love the word repent. I love the word repent because I've never been in some weird Christian group that maybe abused me around that word or got all crazy on it. Repent. I think repent is a great word. Repent is a great word. You know what repent means? Turn around. What do we do if this is true and the Spirit of God has come? How do we live this out, Peter? He goes, turn around. Turn around and live differently than the way you've been living. You've been living without the power of God in your life. You've been living as the Lord of your own life. You've been living in control of your own destiny. You've been living according to your own philosophy of how to live, your own wisdom about what to do, your own power to face the, the things that are ahead of you. You've been living on your own without God. Receive this Holy Spirit. Now turn around. Live differently. Some of us need to hear that this morning. Some of us in this room need to hear the message that I can turn around and embrace the Spirit of God and live with Him. I've been living on my own. When you see the word repent in the scriptures, it always is saying, don't live like God doesn't exist. Don't live like He's not for you. Turn around and embrace the whole truth and live for Him and live with Him. Repent, he says. Repent. Turn around. And be baptized. Every one of you, it says. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We know from other teachings on baptism that baptism doesn't forgive our sins. Like, it's not the thing that forgives our sins. But he's saying, be baptized with this meaning. This is what baptism has meant from this time forward. Still means this in the church. Hey, church. I proclaim publicly that this is true for me, that I've died with Christ and I'm being raised to life with him, that he has cleansed me of all my sin. I've been forgiven. I have eternal life. I'm no longer what I was. That's what pro the proclamation of baptism is. 
And they say, how do we live this out? If this is true, that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, that the Holy Spirit has come, what do I do? He goes, turn around and live differently and be baptized. Proclaim to yourself and to the church, I am in. This is what life is about for me. This is what it means. This is what defines me. I am a Christian. I have let Jesus die for, I mean, I've received what Jesus has done for me in dying for my sins and I've received him. That's what baptism is. Have you been baptized? Let's have a baptism. Uh, I already had one person come to me this morning. Okay, I want to be baptized. And I'm like, great. So we're going to set a date with that person. Then we're going to tell you when it is and you should come. And you'll be a part of it too. If you haven't been baptized, let's baptize you. Repent and be baptized. Why would baptism be important? Because there's something in that physical act of commitment that confirms in us, I'm in. This is what I'm about. This is what defines me. This is what I'm living for. Uh, or you can get a tattoo or both. That'd be great. <laughs> and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've heard us preach this before. We want to remind you of this. You don't receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because of those things. Well, when you, let me just say in the positive, when you say yes to the forgiveness that Jesus offers, the grace that Jesus offers through his death on the cross, when you say yes to that gift and say, okay, that's what I want, I want your forgiveness, I want a life with you. You then receive his gift of the Holy Spirit. And you now have Christ in you. You are spiritually born again. It happens instantaneously. Now, you can say, I don't want to listen to you, Spirit. I want to run away from you, Spirit. I want to be disobedient to you, Spirit. But you do have the Holy Spirit. And so now you can live full. Remember, the church is God or Jesus following people who have received the Holy Spirit and live like it. So now we live and walk it with the Spirit. And he goes, so now receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 39, this promise is for you. It's for your children. It's for those who are far off. Ben made a great point about this last week, man. It's for everybody. You think, we go, it can't be for me, man. I'm a mess. Yep, that's for you. And it's for your kids, the next generation. It's for everybody, for all generations, forever, no matter, and for every culture. And for even those, as Ben was getting us to think about last week, for those we can't even conceive of, they're so far away from understanding and walking with God. It's for them. And then he goes on to just paint this beautiful picture that we've preached before and we won't parse now. Just look at verse 42. They devoted themselves then to the apostles' teaching. That just means they sat under the ministry of the word. That's what we do, right? And to fellowship, that means they oriented their lives around strengthening one another's faith. They engaged in meaningful ways around their common relationship with Jesus. That's what we do. That's why we call you to not only this hour a week, but other smaller groups where you can engage meaningfully, relationally with other people. They devoted themselves to the, the breaking of bread. That was some sort of a ritual thing like we do monthly, this communion thing, but it was more of a meal. It was even a little more intentional, a little more less ritualistic where they committed to one another to a, a fellowship meal that remembered that Jesus did for them. I mean, it's like, it's like they got together and said, it's like when we pray, we do grace when we're together as Christians. And sometimes you just skip it as a family. But when you're together as Christians, you do it. And it's because we're reminding each other, this is what we're about. 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 They devoted themselves to this kind of life together and to prayer. They lived like God was in their midst. And let me just remind you, 
And in the midst of all of that, they prayed for him, for God's will. They prayed for one another because they were living like the presence of the Spirit was there. And if the presence of the Spirit was there, then they would hear from him. If the presence of the Spirit was was there, then he would heal us. If the presence of the Spirit is there, then he would cultivate our heart more for God. If the presence of the Spirit is there, then he would minister to our fears and our doubts and our lostness. If the presence of the Spirit is there, then we can pray for one another and strengthen and encourage one another that we live like it as a community of Jesus' followers. What do we do, they said? Live like it. Live like the Spirit of God is present with us. I'm going to ask the band to come and we're going to do another, another song or two before we're done this morning, but does that, hey, does that excite you that it's a game changer? Some of you have felt like you've been living your life pushing the Honda 90 up the hill over and over and over again. But the Spirit of God has come. And as believers, we get to receive Jesus' presence in us. And when I, because it's happened to me and to you and to you and to you and to you, then together we're the people of God whose spirit is in our midst. And now we get challenged to live like it. Is it exciting? And is it challenging for you? Do you live like the spirit of God is in you, is with you, and is with us together? One of the only ways to respond to that is thank God and so I need you, God. I need you to come. If you're, if you're here, I need you in my life. I need the power. I, gotta, I, got, I need the healing. I need the help. I need the strength. I need the leading. I need you, God. And so as God's people who have received the Holy Spirit, we live like that and we cry out for what he, how he can meet us in our next steps of our journey.